Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome in sports tonight. I'm joined by my BSL colleague, Orioles analyst, Nick Stevens. Nick, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me on tonight. Great to have you. We'll get into the discussion in just one second. First, a word from our sponsor, Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One, their third-generation family business established in 1959, located on Main Street in beautiful historic downtown Westminster. They're the oldest floor-covering store in Carroll County and one of Maryland's longest-running flooring businesses. For all your flooring needs, think Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. So as I said, we have Nick Stevens, our oil uh, analyst colleague, has been with the site since November of 19. Nick's uh, been a great addition to the site. He's provided a uh, uh, nearly 30 articles in that time, a lot of uh, high-quality work. Uh, and in this past year, he's joined with Bob Phelan and uh, Zach Spedden as a co-host of our uh, On the Verge uh, podcast, and uh, they've provided excellent minor league coverage. Uh, Nick, am I right in saying that the uh, minor leagues, is that what you enjoy uh, most covering? Yeah, definitely. I think if I always tell people, if you ask me what my favorite sports are, I'm going to tell you minor league baseball and mid-major college basketball, just because I absolutely love minor league baseball, just the atmosphere. Um, and when you get to talk to a lot of these prospects, not like your Grayson Rodriguez's or your DL Hall type prospects, but when you talk to some of those grinders down there in the system, um, you know, you really see these guys truly, truly love the game of baseball. And so I feed off that. And I just, I love the whole atmosphere that minor league baseball brings and, the underdog story. So you got to be exciting here, excited as uh, we're here. Spring training's on the way. Baseball's returning, but it's also a return of a minor league baseball, something that was directly missed last year. Obviously, there's been a change and reduction of the overall minor league uh, teams throughout baseball, but uh, just having that back, knowing that the affiliates will have action, that that's got to be exciting, right? Yeah, and it's, it's fine to actually see what these guys were able to do this past year. And are we actually seeing true progression from a lot of these Orioles prospects? Uh, you know, what it, we, we've heard a lot of positive reports. Uh, I know I live right down the road from Brendan Hannafy, guys like that. I've seen him throwing on the fields, and, and you read all these reports on these guys, but it's going to be fun to actually see them out there on the field against competition that's not other Orioles prospects. Yeah. That. I know we've uh, talked about it on a number of podcasts, uh, you as well. We've seen the articles and uh, also wondering just how uh, the innings are going to work for pitchers, right, as they get stretched out after missing all of last year. Yeah, yeah I think that's going to be the toughest thing just because you don't want you don't want to throw guys out there immediately and have them get hurt. We saw like John Means at the major league level last year. I think um, at the college level you've already seen – I don't know if it's more or less, but – yeah, we're going to talk about a little bit of college baseball on our show tomorrow night, but uh, there's been a rash of injuries already, guys out for the year, and I think people getting ramped up too fast. So I imagine a lot of six-man rotations down in the minor leagues as well when they kick things off, especially at the AAA level. So yeah, we'll see. We'll get right back into uh, overall baseball discussion in a second, but just a little bit on Nick. So no, uh, you went to James Madison. That explains the mid-major love. We understand uh, uh, that, uh, uh, and down there in Virginia. But um, you've been writing 
um, the Orioles for some time before you joined BSL. You were where were you? Uh, I got my start. It was about five or six years ago now at a website called BabyBirdland.com, where they focus strictly on the Orioles minor leagues. That was a lot of fun getting to interview players, sit in the press boxes out at Frederick, and Bowie, and everywhere, and meet a lot of uh, great people like Jeff Arnold and, and other guys I met uh, that work for the Orioles. That was a lot of fun. And then yeah, just kind of bouncing around. I wrote for a while at, at Birds Watcher over at Fansided. Uh, just to keep writing, writing about the Orioles. Uh, yeah, and then I've, I've been here, like you said, since 2019, and I love it. It's, it's a great place to be, a great place to write. Yeah, so, oh, I appreciate that, but you know, it's, it's great because we have a lot of people like yourself. So full-time job, and this is uh, really, you know, the, the writing is just kind of a passion for you, right? It's kind of a, something cathartic, something outside of office life. Yeah, I was actually a high school teacher beforehand, and I think I was at a local brewery with my wife and just kind of over teaching, and that's how getting into baseball writing started. Um, so, like, not every bad story starts with, like, I was drunk at a bar one night because that's, that's how it all started for me. So it's, it's pretty cool. But, yeah, this is, this is just for fun. Just I do now have the 9-to-5 office life, so it's nice. Just I just watch baseball all day up on the second monitor and – when I get home at night and the kids in bed, just write about it. Well, uh, certainly in this past year, good to have something uh, something else. So uh, hopefully enjoyable, certainly enjoyable for me to uh, read your thoughts. So let's go. Uh, let's take a look again. Season starting, spring training starting, and the uh, the actual season right on the horizon. So I, I think we're all pleased about that. Uh, let's kind of start with kind of. Where are the Orioles? So the minor league talent's increasing. You've certainly wrote about that. We've seen the internal investment in international operations. The actual Orioles are doing something internationally for basically the first time ever. We've seen further investment in the analytics. Major League roster has limited payroll obligations going forward, so uh, that creates opportunity as well. What are your general thoughts of uh, what is being built I think I'm I'm fully bought in. You know, it's I know a lot of fans question some of the moves Michael Elias makes, and, and that's they have a reason for that. But I like what he's building. Uh, like you mentioned, the international market, he had to start literally from the ground up. I feel like he was building batting cages in, in some of these countries, literally from the ground up. Um, and now we saw them in what two years? They're signing a guy two guys in the back end of the top 30, right outside the top 30 international prospect list. So that pipeline's building. Um, you see the minor league talent growing, the farm overall farm system rank climbing up higher and higher. But at the major league level, I think the Orioles have a, a good solid core of young players now that are establishing themselves. Um, I know, I think today the, the fun, the really drama on Twitter and social media was fan graphs, 0% chance of the Orioles making the playoffs, which is a shot, and I know Orioles fans don't want to see that, but this team is going to be a lot better than that 0% chance shows, I think. I mean, you look at some of the younger guys. Yeah, I, I just can't get worked up on that. I mean, it's no. yes, we're aware that in the 21 season, the Orioles are not going to the playoffs, even if baseball winds up with some expanded uh, playoff field, and that's fine. Uh, but there's plenty, plenty to watch, including uh, uh, the development of – we're starting to see the ascension of a number of players. We saw Kremer and Aiken join the rotation last summer. So you have those two, and then Bauman, Lofer, Zimmerman, Wells, and Smith. And I guess part of my optimism for this year is believing that out of those seven guys, the Orioles are going to get 
some level of uh, production and also, you know, beyond that, uh, just being able to evaluate uh, those guys. Uh, Kramer Aiken seemed destined to have the uh, uh, first shot, likely to be part of the rotation when uh, camp breaks. But out of that group, who, who are you highest on? Um, I mean, Aiken definitely exceeded my expectations, and he's he's been a guy that I've watched a lot of when he, especially when he was in the lower levels of the minor leagues. He exceeded my expectations, but I think there's still questions there of is he going to stick in the back end of the rotation or not? Because when it gets bad for him, like it, it's going to get bad. Um, I, I do like Kramer a lot. I always put I put it out a few times on our show. Kramer just could not throw a first pitch strike, and he was still really successful. So I think we see a much more improved Dean Kramer next year. But the guy that I'm actually higher on, I think, the most is is Zach Lothar. I'm really excited to see what he can do. Um, I've had the opportunity to watch him a few times up close, and the ball just moves. I mean, he hides the ball well, and hitters really struggle to pick up on it. Um, we'll see how he does in the upper levels of the minor leagues now. But he's really exciting. And then Bauman as well, I'd say, is like 1B on that list just because – a couple of years ago, there were questions about is he like he's a fringe relief prospect? What exactly is he? And now I don't think there's any question that at best he's a, a starter, a, maybe a potentially a top 100 prospect. I've seen a few national evaluators make that comment, uh, but at worst you're looking at a guy who's going to be a back end of the back end of the bullpen reliever with that fastball, powerful fastball, big curveball, and maybe the guy Hunter Harvey maybe has is yet to become could be Michael Bauman. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of uh, with you with all of that. I um, you know, Loafers had a lot of production. I'm interested to watch, uh, watch him. Bauman, obviously, uh, uh, the arm and the, the velocity, so that's encouraging. Aiken, I was kind of you know, as he was moving up the the ranks, I was looking for a little bit more production. Obviously, in 19 at AAA, he did uh, he at least was taking the ball and he did have. Some innings, and you know, you could see the K rate, and you know, there was some talk from Elias in terms of, you know, their production could have been a little bit higher, but uh, he was working on some particular things, and obviously, the international league in '19, the ball was just flying everywhere. So, uh, so overall, what I like about those seven arms is that um, I think it's really realistic to believe that you're going to find two back-end starters and, you know, have cheap production and, you know, uh, some level of productivity over the next uh, you know, several years. And obviously uh, you have a uh, team control. So interested to watch that group. We'll see who uh, winds up uh, claiming spots and uh, see if anybody else can join them or who else winds up in the pen, but uh, interesting group to watch during the years. You uh, had an article a few weeks ago. You looked at a number of different topics, but uh, you looked at uh, one of the topics you looked at was John Means. And obviously we know what uh, you know, what we saw in 20 from Means over a limited sample size, obviously, but he started with the uh, the increased velocity, and I thought maybe the there was a loss of uh, corresponding movement and there was an increased velocity of all the pitching uh, pitches that he had, um, but uh, and maybe took away from his highly effective change. But then, right at the end of the year, a couple of really strong outings, you know. And going just back back another year to nineteen, obviously, you know, he makes the All Star team. 
uh, becomes the uh, Orioles' most consistent starter. And for me, that was wholly unexpected. I mean, he wasn't somebody that was, you know, particularly ever highly regarded within the system. Just what do the Orioles have with John Means at this point? What, what, what do you what do you think? Is he a reliable starter going forward? Do you think there is some extra uh, uh, ceiling there that uh, you know, he could be a little bit more than just a, a reliable arm? <laughs> I think there might be a little bit more there. Like you said, he was not a top 30 guy, maybe a back end of the top 30 guy at some points. But I remember watching him in like Bowie and Norfolk, and he was just a guy, a minor league arm that was like every five days he was going to take the ball and he was going to be okay. Five innings, give up three, four runs, and but nothing really exciting. Uh, but like you mentioned, all-star, his rookie year, and he really turned it on at the end of the year. I I think three, yeah, looking at his numbers now, three of his last four starts went six innings. Um, he had like close to 30 strikeouts and only two or three walks over those last four starts. And those are all against playoff teams. Uh, those last three starts of the year were at least playoff teams, the Blue Jays, the Rays, and the Yankees. So like I said, the velocity, I, I read people who are a lot smarter than me when it comes to you know looking at pitchers say, you know, not all velocity increases are good velocity increases. And that might've been the case with John Means. So maybe if he's, Take a little bit off the fastball, control that better. He's got the elite changeup that maybe can come back a little bit. And there's been a lot of talk about his curveball, throwing more curveballs that seem to be a good pitch. A lot of people like that pitch. And so if he's mixing that in more, and I'm just writing off 2020 as a whole for most people, but for John Means especially, just he, you had the delay and then you had the arm fatigue when he ramped up too quickly and then his dad passing away. And that's just – Throughout a whole pandemic, there was just a it was yeah. just a lot uh, yeah. a lot going on with him. Uh, but yeah, the starts there at the end of the year, he locked in. The change was darting, uh, like you said, he's working in the curve more. And if he's never more than just a reliable starter, that's cheap and under team control. That's a lot of value. But he has flashed a little bit where there there is a, a little bit of upside, a further upside there, and that's encouraging. That's something that, you know, again, we're talking about a year where the Orioles are not going to compete, but there are plenty of things to look at and, and watching John Means over the course of a full 21 season. I mean, that, that could be something uh, fun to watch. Uh, let's go to the bullpen a little bit. Harvey, Scott, and Tate, that's a trio that I like. Uh, who interests you the most uh, from that group? Uh, definitely Dylan Tate for sure. That's been my guy. Uh, and he put up fantastic numbers last year. Uh, he's kind of the Orioles. Once they got him from New York, they kind of rushed him up. They used him as a starter. Then he got hurt when he was with Bowie. So he took some time off that was back in, you know, 2019, uh, moved into the bullpen and he moved right up to the majors. So I just don't think he had a whole lot of time to really settle in, uh, into that new bullpen role, but hopefully 2021 full off season, he'll be good to go. He's definitely intriguing to me. Um, you know, I'm actually really high on a guy like Chart Armstrong. I think he's one of the more underrated arms in the Orioles bullpen, but he's probably going to be traded at some point this year. But um, I think Tate's the one that stands out to me the most, and, and Tanner Scott, obviously, as well. I think we've been waiting so long to see Tanner Scott finally break through, and he finally did that last year. So that's that's exciting, although that was we did a quick bold prediction on one of our recent shows. And my bold prediction was that Tanner Scott gets traded this year. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens with him there. But. Well, that bold prediction would uh, disappoint me, but it probably is a possibility, but I, you know, I like the trio. Uh, I also uh, like Tate a lot and Scott, I mean, you, um, yeah, it's a lot to ask of him, but uh, it, it, 
I mean, at times he looks like Andrew Miller. It's just whether he can uh, uh, harness the control, uh, you know, enough. Uh, but I thought he made a, a nice leap uh, this past year. Uh, I, I've asked a few other uh, guests this, and I got to start with the caveat always that we're just happy to see Trey Main City have his health. And the questions, of course, as spring training begins, is going to be where is he performance wise? But I'm of the opinion that he's going to. Uh, you know, he, he says he's healthy, so I expect that he'll be productive. That, that, that's kind of, kind of my expectation there. So just going on the idea that between the lines, uh, Mancini's healthy, what do you expect to happen uh, with him in terms of uh, either being traded or do you think the Orioles will look for an extension with him, and what do you think should happen? It's That's the toughest question just because I, th- I don't think any Orioles fan want wants to see him traded, obviously. We all want to see him become the face of this franchise. He, he is only 28, so, I mean, he could still be a productive player in two, three years when the Orioles are hopefully playing winning baseball. But I, I think just based on Michael Elias' history, uh, moving veteran pieces, he's at what, less than $5 million he's making this year, and I think he's got at least one more year of control that he's probably not going to make much more in arbitration. So I think if I think if the right offer comes along, he is going to be traded, unfortunately. Um, but I, I just don't know. My heart says no, absolutely not. But I, I just I don't see him sticking around, to be totally honest. Uh, unless unless they move yeah. like a Santander and, you know, the outfield is pretty I, deep. I can be so. fine with, uh, I could be fine with an extension. I could be fine with him being traded. Um, I, I could be okay either way. My expectation, he's going to start the year at first. He's productive, and then we'll see where, where he is two months into the season. I kind of I, I feel it would be very typical for the Orioles franchise pre-Elias for them to give him an extension. I think it's an interesting test case if you take out, obviously, everything that Mancini has gone through on a personal level this past year to see what Elias would do there. Uh, but definitely that'll be something we're all watching uh, here as the season begins. Uh, we'll go through a couple of other uh, topics with you, uh, Nick, uh, just kind of work our way through the diamond. Uh, let's go to the outfield. Uh, I think I'm higher on Hayes than yourself, but what are your thoughts? Uh, does Hayes stay on the field and produce enough in 21 to believe in him long term? I, I want to. I mean, I love the way that kid plays. Uh, and I think a lot of his injuries have been just that. He plays so hard. Uh, and it's just a lot of unfortunate injuries. But I, I hope he stays healthy. That's The Orioles outfield is pretty crowded and pretty deep. But it still does have a lot of those questions. And Hayes is the biggest one. Um, you have Ryan McKenna, but I don't think he's really going to be pushing Hayes for the job. Cedric Mullins isn't going to be pushing for that starting job. So it's his job to lose. But uh, he just has to stay healthy because the defense is explosive. Uh, he can get the ball out there in center field. We've seen the plays he makes out there. Uh, the bat, the Orioles keep hitting him leadoff, and I guess that's when you're not trying to win games, you're just trying to get him at bats. That's fine, but I think you move him down in the order and we start to see what he can really do, uh, where he fits better in the lineup, which is not at leadoff, which, but that's probably where he'll end up hitting again this year. So we'll have to see. But I it's just, just want to see a, a, a full season – Ups and downs, just stay in the lineup. Uh, Santander, what what are your thoughts? Does he build on 20? It's another guy that that had a a bit of a breakout there in his 
time. Obviously, he missed the end of the year the last few weeks, but uh, does he build on 20? And again, like Hayes, you're looking to see him do it over a larger sample size. <laughs> yeah, same thing. I, I want to see it across a full season. That's why I I get Orioles fans love Santander, but I wouldn't be upset if the Orioles were able to move him. Although I think that Marlins trade idea, that's they've signed enough guys. That's I think that's dead and gone. But he just hasn't stayed healthy either, and he hasn't played that many games with the Orioles at the major league level. He did improve, but he's he's really streaky. So we'll have to see. I just want to see him remain consistent across the full season because last year was definitely an awesome year for him. But, again, it's same thing as Hayes. It's, it's health, and you got guys like Diaz coming up quick behind you. So uh, that does take me to the next question there, which was about uh, Diaz. And so – Got Hayes in center, Santander in right, and believe Mel Castle will get to him in a second, uh, starting the year in left. Mancini at first, and probably right now penciling in Stewart at DH. Uh, the questions become maybe two months into the year after Diaz has, after the Orioles have frankly obtained another year of team control with Diaz. Does uh, he then force his way to the majors, take over left? Yeah, maybe Mel Castle then becomes. Uh, splitting time with Mancini first in DH, uh, and maybe Stewart's the odd guy out there, or as we've discussed, maybe Mancini is on the move. But let's focus on Diaz for a second. Uh, 19, he was dealing with leg issues, um, and that kind of hampered some of the performance. You probably saw him uh, directly. The reports last year were pretty glowing uh, about him in, in the uh, – uh, at Bowie at the camp, uh, I'm I've kind of remained high on him. I'm looking forward to you know seeing him over the course of the year. I'm looking forward to June and just seeing that lineup. What do you think the Orioles have having him? Uh, and what are you looking to see this year? <laughs> I think he's a solid solid baseball player. Uh, maybe not a guy who's like a perennial All Star or anything, in which I think a lot of fans were hoping for, being the the headliner of the Manny Machado trade. But I think at this point. When he's healthy, when he was at Bowie, you saw him hit uh, across like a full month, his healthy month. He can hit 270, 280. He's going to give you, you know, six, seven home runs a month. Uh, he's not going to be a big home run guy, but he's got some pop in the bat. I think he's a guy who you plug in at sixth, seventh in the batting order. He's going to get on base. He draws a lot of walks. He's going to hit his fair share of home runs. He hits a lot of doubles, and he just has a cannon for an arm out there in the outfield. So I think a lot of Orioles fans kind of – we always talk about prospect fatigue with Diaz on our show, and I think that's true just because it's been so long. Uh, but I think uh, Orioles fans' patience with Diaz is going to pay off for sure. Yeah, I'm just expecting a productive, uh, well-rounded uh, player and the guy that – he kind of uh, reminds me of is his former uh, uh, L.A. farmhand colleague, uh, Verdugo. Uh, and um, uh, if you get that type of level of production, I think I'd be very pleased. But uh, that's, you know, watching Diaz, if Diaz is up in June and you're going an outfield of Diaz, Hayes, and Santander, that, that could be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. So, uh, looking forward to that. So let's go to Mount Castle. Um, I'm a little surprised, really, of just the, the questions that some analysts seem to have with him. I, I, I understand the plate discipline questions, uh, but and I understand, obviously, where is he going to fit on a diamond? But if he is eventually first or DH, which I think is where his ultimate path is going to be, 
I think he's going to be a productive bet, especially in right now where he's under uh, team control and doesn't cost anything, even if he's not uh, uh, somebody that ever has much of an on-base percentage. I think he's going to hit for enough average that uh, that he's uh, uh, productive. But uh, I, I know that's a an issue that's debated by by a number of different people. Uh, people fall on different sides on that. Where, where are you if Mount Castle? What, what do you think the Royals have? I think they got a stud. I mean, it's yes, the defense is limiting, but I will carry this to the grave with me. Like this is this is the hill I will die on. That Mount Castle plays a perfectly fine first base. That get Chris Davis off this roster. You have Trey Mancini and Mount Castle first base DH. Like you said, I love that combination. Uh, he's not going to hurt you at all there. Um, and yeah, he's not going to hit 40 home runs and get on base, you know, a 350 clip like you want to see out of your big first baseman. But I think it's fine. Uh, you know, he's been consistently two, three years younger than his competition at every single level of the minor leagues. And he produced phenomenally MVP in AAA. And so he's he's not afraid to go up there against these veteran pitchers. And the thing I also liked the most about him last year was that yeah, he swung at a lot of pitches out of the zone that he shouldn't have, uh, for sure. He did walk like 8% of the time, so that's a phenomenal rate for Mountcastle. But you saw him in those at-bats. He knew exactly what he was doing wrong. And so I like the body language. Even when he was struggling, I love the body language with him. That, that kid's learning. And so he's still just so young, so this huge track record down in the minor leagues. I think the Orioles have something really special here with, with Mountcastle, for sure. Roy eligible Mount Castle. See what he does yeah. over the course of a full, uh, full year. See if he can uh, join the Otter. Uh, uh, so you know, not going to be long term uh, solutions there at short and uh, second. But two new options have been obtained, and both of them have uh, some pedigree, and at least should be able to pick it. Uh, Galvis and uh, Sanchez. Uh, what do the Orioles have with those two? I mean, it's fine for now. I think you know, Sanchez has the gold glove at second base. So I, I like that duo, that double play duo. It's a lot better than watching uh, guys like Pat Vileko play shortstop. He, he was just terrible. Um, but if you have that gold glove, gold, gold glover at second base in Sanchez, and you've got Galvis, who's been this veteran for, you know, 10 plus years in the major, almost 10 years in the major leagues. I think that helps out the younger pitchers. Elias has preached the strength up the middle. So if you had Austin Hayes out in center, uh, and you got that double play combo up the middle, maybe Rutschman at the end of the year. I think that's another going to be the hotly debated topic all year among Orioles fans. That's a strong core up the middle. And I think pitchers are going to love pitching uh, in front of that. Um, you know, and Galvis, Galvis has pop in the bat. He's a switch hitter. So at, playing at Camden Yards, I wouldn't be surprised to see him hit 20, 20 plus home runs this year, which you know, when the Orioles aren't going to win a game, so we get value. Yeah. I was a little surprised with uh, Sanchez that he had a uh, a little more homer pop than I uh, had remembered. He's not going to hit many, but ten to fifteen is possible, especially if a a, a warm summer Candom Yards he might find the seats as well. So uh, again, these are not going to be long term options, but for the year, uh, kind of you know interesting and at least with the defense, it should be uh, uh, productive there. Uh, you mentioned Rutschman, so let's talk about him. The consensus, obviously, is the floor is high. Uh, for me, it's not hard to think about Weeders. Weeders, four-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glover, and due to the expectations he came to the big leagues with, it feels like, at least in some circles, he underachieved. So 
the reality is that Weeders had a very good career. He just didn't match quite the hype, which was understandable, maybe given where the hype was. So is Rutschman, is he going to be more Weeders? Is he going to be more Buster Posey? And I think that's a question we're all going to be asking for some for some time. Uh, and if he's just Weeders and just as a multiple-time All-Star, you know, that'll be that'll be fine. <laughs> it'll be productive. We'll, we'll, take, we'll take that, right? Exactly. Uh, but if he's... If he's a multiple-time MVP, that obviously changes uh, uh, the franchise. But you mentioned uh, uh, the possibility of him joining the Orioles perhaps at the end of uh, this coming year, which I, I know uh, some people uh, feel would be rushing him. We had on Jim Callis on uh, other podcasts, Chris Turner show a few uh, weeks ago, and Callis mentioned that, he, he thinks he's already uh, uh, um, saw Brandon Hyde quoted in the last day or so thinking that would be uh, if he came up this year, that that would be a rush, but Rushman's going to have a chance to go and produce uh, somewhere and play every day. Finally gets a minor league at bats. Uh, he impressed last year at, at the camp. Uh, I, I guess where I'm going with this long winded uh, question there, Nick is just, with a catcher, I mean, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, obviously there's a team control angle, uh, but I guess if they bring him up in September, I don't believe that impacts. You can correct me, uh, right? So yeah, so, uh, uh, I, I believe he can uh, come up at that point. And uh, with a catcher, I just feel like maybe there's just a, a limited amount of innings and time that you have with a guy. And I would, I would like to have most of them at the major league level, but you know, what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, I know a lot of people want him in the majors now or at the all-star break. And I don't think that's going to happen, even though you have guys like, you know, Ben McDonald right after the draft praising saying he's major league ready. Now that defense is major league ready. Now I don't think anybody disputes that, but you know, I think there's a lot of value in just keeping him in the minor leagues this year, especially at triple a, it's going to have this stacked rotation, um, I don't see the Orioles being super aggressive with a lot of their pitching prospects. So you're still going to have a lot of younger guys down there that could benefit catching, uh, having Rutschman as their catcher. And, and like you said, you don't want to wear him out too early uh, with unnecessary innings on a team that's approaching 100 losses at the end of the year. Uh, so I just say keep him down for right now. See what he can do. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any problem if he stays stays down uh, the entirety of 21. I think the assumption from my, my part is I – Definitely believe he is the Orioles' everyday catcher by uh, mid-May 22. That, that's that's my anticipation. Uh, as, as an advanced college bat, uh, I, I would have wanted him, if there had been a full season last year, to start no lower, lower than high A, would have wanted him to make the jump to – uh, double A by the second half, so he didn't get get that time, but he did have the time in the uh, extended camp. Um, you're talking about starting a triple A, and I think that's kind of an important point, right? Because the minor league seasons at the uh, what levels are going to start later? Yeah, uh, you've got the lower levels. Well, really, only triple A is going to start on time. And so right, so that that kind of leads to him starting, I believe, at AAA and not and not Bowie. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, so once he's at Norfolk and he's producing, uh, you know, if he produces, then uh, uh, he can start to 
dictate when he uh, when he makes the ascension and jump. But it's going to be fun to watch, right? So uh, definitely can't wait to be checking out that box score on, on a daily basis. Uh, we'll go rapid fire. I know we've kept you uh, already kept you half an hour, but we'll go through a few other topics real quick here. Uh, Vavra, uh, Cervedo, and Westberg, uh, do they do enough at their respective levels in 21 to have us believing they can help a major league roster at some point in 22? Uh, I think so, uh, for sure. Especially Vavra is a guy I know all three of us that on the verge are high on. Um, it, it's still hard to believe that Elias was able to get Vavra and even Nevin plus another flyer prospect down in, from the Dominican roster for a Miguel. Oh no, Michael, that was Michael Gibbons trade. Um, Vavra's got a, a big hit tool. The guy's going to get on base. He's going to hit the baseball. He's going to be exciting to watch for sure. I think he play can play in multiple positions. I want to say they have him working out in center field as well. So. Michael Ice is prepping him, I think, for a quick rise up to the major leagues. Um, and, and you got a guy like Sir Video, I think, is is an interesting guy just because the glove is so good. I've seen others, again, that are smarter than I am say that glove could probably play in the major leagues already. So I think if, if you're familiar with like a Mason McCoy, imagine Sir, I think I compare Sir Video to McCoy, but with a better bat and maybe even a better glove, uh, to be totally honest. I haven't, we haven't seen him play yet, so I don't know, but... Servidio is definitely an exciting name to watch. Um, the Orioles are kind of stacked with middle infield prospects. I know a lot of people would disagree with that, but I there are so many interesting names down there in the farm that that's going to be the one of the biggest areas I'm excited to watch. Yeah, I'm pretty high on, on all three of them. I'm kind of interested to see how the positionally uh, they work out. Uh, ooh, Westberg, I'm just going to say, He's the uh, the pick that I liked best in the draft last year, uh, and I'm kind of excited to see uh, see more of him. But um, again, 21 ends. Uh, are Rodriguez and Hall on track to join the Orioles in early 22? Uh, what do you think? I mean, and how would you handle? And I'm sorry. And how would you handle their workloads uh, this year as well? <laughs> I think Hall will be on track for sure. He's definitely going to be the one that reaches the big leagues first. Uh, Rodriguez, I just don't know. Just because 2019, they really, I don't want to say babied him, uh, but they kept the kid gloves on him as far as not letting him throw too many pitches, uh, which is fine because I think I don't even think he's 21 yet. Or if he is, he's going to be 21 all year. He, he's another really young kid. Uh, and this is a guy that you know the scouts say is the top of the rotation arm. So this is the guy that you want to be safe and not rush up. Uh, I think Rut Hall for sure, 2022, you see him make his debut maybe a few months into the season. And, and then Grayson Rodriguez, I think you maybe see a, a year later. Maybe he makes his debut at the end of 2022, but not too much. But for sure, I Rodriguez is a guy that, I mean, I don't think he's just now starting to get all the hype. And I know you mentioned having Jim Callis on uh, – on his show, I think right after he came on your show, uh, they talked about uh, some of the pitching prospects. And Grayson Rodriguez is, you know, what, 30-something ranked uh, overall prospect. And he says that's still – Grayson Rodriguez is underrated in his eyes. So. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, it looks like they're both going to begin at Bowie, I, I, I think. And uh, I know Wall has uh, Hall ahead of Rodriguez. Uh, but pretty much everybody else has, has Rodriguez uh, ahead. But I'm interested to see them together at the same level and, uh, you know, a little competition there uh, back and forth one night after the other and, and seeing them uh, push each other. So 
that'll be fun. Um, and innings wise, and, and their workloads, I mean, it's going to be interesting just to see how many innings they're willing to put on them, and that that that'll be part of the equation in terms of not just uh, this twenty one season getting them through the year, but also if you are going to project them at some point joining in 22, uh, you know, you know the, the jump there and how many innings you can put on the arm. Um, let's see. Uh, just kind of last question there in the minors. Uh, Henderson and uh, Mayo, oh, yeah, a couple other uh, interesting uh, guys there, possibly uh, third base answers at, at, at some point uh, in a couple of years down the road. Here they're going to get their first uh, everyday playing experience. Just, uh, you know, what do you think the Orioles have with, with those two uh, and maybe which one excites you more? <laughs> yeah. Henderson is obviously kind of the prospect darling this year. Every ESPN fan graphs pipeline, every single outlet says the, the prospect outside the top 100 to watch, it's, it's Gunnar Henderson for the Orioles. Um it, it's fun to see evaluators stop saying, well, he's probably going to move to third base and saying that this is a shortstop. He's going to stick there. That's exciting to see. Um, he's at the top of my list. I, I don't know where he's going to begin uh, just because I, I think he, I don't want to say high A. I think he'll be at high A pretty soon, which I have to think about this in my head now, which would be with Aberdeen now. Um, I think he'll be there pretty soon just because it seemed like he really progressed at these at the team's alternate site facing more advanced pitching. He is definitely excited for sure. And Kobe Mayo, I mean, I am super stoked to see him. He had Austin Riley comps thrown on him in the draft. Uh, we had Dr. Stephen Loftus on with us doing draft talk uh, last year, and he was super high on Kobe Mayo. He was the guy that got me excited uh, to watch Mayo in, this year. So. That big power bat, young, young kid, though. I think he's only like 18 still, so long ways to go for him, but young, exciting guys. You got to love all of the uh, uh, the athletic, uh, positional, young talent that's been added to the uh, the system in the last couple of years under Elias. That's been fun. Uh, Nick, great talking with you. Always uh, you know, really enjoy uh, the coverage you've provided. Thank you for that to the site. I'm looking forward to hearing the next episode of The Verge. You said that's uh, tomorrow night. So we'll look for that as well. Anything we didn't cover or anything you want to uh, go ahead and mention uh, either with coming out with uh, On the Verge or uh, another article you have coming from the site or anything else you just think Oriole fans should uh, be aware of? No, I think just enjoy the fact that baseball is back. Uh, you know, live coverage is going to be in the minor leagues, of course. Follow us at BS on the Verge on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we're trying to build all of that up. Uh, we'll have pump out minor league highlights every single day, all day long when that gets going. Uh, as far as the site, I'm going to get back to finishing up my uh, previews, looking at the infield, looking at the outfield. I already did the starting rotation, the bullpen. So now that life's starting to settle down a little bit, uh, pump those two out and get excited for regular season coverage. Yep. Looking forward to that. Come and join us at the board, Baltimore sports and life.com for, uh, for Nick. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk again soon. Take care.